tweak it a little bit, but we do it because it's really the core of what we believe and the core of why we do what we do. Week one, we talked about God's wants, that God's, our why comes from God's wants. What we do is in response to what God wants for us and wants us to be able to help people do. And it breaks down into these things. He wants lost people saved to know Jesus. And once they know Jesus, he wants saved people pastored. He wants us to grow up, to mature in our faith, to find freedom and be free from our past. Then he wants pastored people trained. God's given us gifts and he expects us to use them for the kingdom and use them to bless people's lives. And then he wants trained people mobilized. He wants the church, even capital C church, out in the communities doing something, reaching people, talking to people, sharing your life with people. Last week we talked about, the first one is that is being saved, know God. That God's promise is salvation. And this is God's highest priority. This one stands alone. It can't be connected to the other three. You do nothing, you can do nothing to earn it. All you can do is freely receive it. Salvation can't be mixed. It's a, it's a gift of grace and mercy. Salvation is instant. You see, here, and we're going to separate it from what we're doing today. Knowing God, salvation is about quality of life and eternity. Because whether you believe it or not, maybe you're here today or watching online and you think, I just don't know about this heaven-hell thing and this Jesus, you know, and eternity thing. We're all going somewhere. The question is where? There's only two places. There's, not, there's no middle ground for you to hang out and think about it for a while. The Bible says there's two. So knowing God or salvation is about the quality of life in eternity. But what we're going to talk about today, the second part, is finding freedom is about quality of life here on earth. Now heaven's great. And I still believe, and if you go back and listen to the teachings we've done, that we're going to get to heaven and it's going to just blow our mind. We're going to, the Bible says we'll look at God and go, I, I get it. And you look into the eyes of the Father, I think we'll get it. But God also says, I've got promise, promises for you here on the earth. But see, finding freedom where salvation is instant. Finding freedom is a process. Because I ask you this, how many times do your kids do it what you asked them to the first time? Yeah, nobody's raising their hand. Most kids don't. And seriously, most of the time, it's not because they're rebellious, disobedient, but as a child, when you tell them to do something for the first time, there's an ignorance there. It's a process of teaching kids, and the Bible says training them up. Well, the same thing is true for us. When you get saved, God now takes you through a process so that you can live the highest quality of life and the blessings that he has for you here. It's something that God walks us through. And honestly, in the room, if we're honest with ourselves or even watching online, finding freedom is for anyone who's past or their flesh, still gets in the way every now and then. Anybody had a flesh moment this week? Like where you just like flipped out and lost it like I did. 
Like, and I had to stop. Like, what in the world? And I just I turned, kind of tuned out God for a minute and got aggravated. We all have those moments. So finding freedom is for anybody who, who's, who's not perfect. And if you think you're perfect, that's your issue. You're not perfect. God will work that out of you too. Because none of us are. The Bible says there's but one that's perfect. Talked about the promises. If you look in the book of Exodus chapter 6, God begins to tell people, he tells them the four I wills. And he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you out, I'm going to free you, and then it says I'm going to free you again. Well, what does that really mean? Because you freed us, but now you're going to free us again? You see, the, what he's talking about is trying to get you to change the way you act because we tend to act like what we know. The Israelites, God's people, were prisoners or, or slaves for years and years and years. All of a sudden, God did everything he did, if you read the story, and then he got them out of Egypt. Well, once they got out, guess what? They still acted like they were slaves. If you, if you even read through the story at one point, they complained to Moses and said, hey, we could, we could just go back there and we're going to have to work and work and work, but at least they're going to feed us. How are you going to feed us? How are you going to make this work for us when we've walked away from that? They still had this slave mindset. You see, the, the, the thing you need to understand is that the first promise is knowing God is all grace. Grace is God giving you something you didn't deserve. He's given us Jesus. But finding freedom is where we are now. It's walking out that grace. It's why we have on our logos and on, on the hats and everything, you see one step. Why? Because we all got one step to take. That our whole goal and purpose is to help people take one step from where they are, one step closer to where God wants them to be. For them to be moving forward. Finding freedom is us just doing that. Look what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. It doesn't say it's just going to happen. It doesn't say it's going to just fall on your lap. Change is hard. How many of you weird people like change? There are very few personalities that really do. Most, most humans, we don't want change. We don't mess with it. I'm very much a creature of habit. If I go home or I'm in the office, my, my habit going in and out is the same because when it gets off, I forget stuff. When it gets off, I miss things. And I like it very routine. But God says here, this is Paul writing, he says, hey, you've got to work hard to show some results of the free thing I gave you. So just listen to me. Follow me. And good things will happen. Look what it says in verse 13. For God is now working in you. So you got to do some work too. And it says he'll give you the desire and the power to do what he's asked you to do. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about, um, and I still got fussed at, but I'm going to do it again anyway. We talked about this this phenomenon that we create and there's one of our new babies is here this morning that made me think of it just a few days old and babies are a few days old everything's glorious poop may not really stink but as soon as you give that child some some food other than milk what happens Whew. 
You talking about power? God put in a power to clear a room and that fast. See, it's it's a it's a stink, and when we clean a baby, you got to do what? You clean them, and then you get the stink off. It's really a good way for us to look at I think what God does for us. He gets us out of Egypt. He gets us out of being slaves, and now I got to say I got to get the slave out of you. I got to get that mentality out of you. Because most of us get stuck with our past. We haul it with us. We drag this. We're saying, I'm not standing it anymore. Or I've changed that diaper. But how many of you that have kids or have had kids knows what happens if you forget and stick that diaper in your bag or in a car? And then you find it a couple days later with the doors locked. That stink stays, doesn't it? See, finding freedom for us helps us move forward. And it helps, will help you understand what we're talking about today. I want to show you how God built you. And you may know this, and um, you've heard me teach it before, but I think it's important for us to know who, how God made us. You are, or you have a body. That's your flesh. The flesh has one purpose and one purpose only. You know what it is? To feel good. And the flesh doesn't care about the rest of you. As long as it makes me feel good, I don't care what it does to me emotionally. As long as it makes me feel good, the flesh doesn't care what it does to you spiritually. That's the flesh's goal. That's why the Bible says we're not to live by the flesh. Then you have a soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. The goal of your emotions is to make you feel good. You do whatever it is you need to do to make your emotional emotions feel good, your soul feel good, and the soul doesn't care about your body. Because a lot of stuff you can do to make you feel good in your soul is destroying your body. Then you have what is the real you. Well, really, if we're honest, it's the God part of you. And that's, you are a spirit that lives in a body that has a soul. The real Clint, the Bible says, is a spirit that God somehow in his supernatural, when I was born, took me and then this fine specimen of a body and then put them together. I don't need to laugh. And God put them together and, that's, and now we're operating in this. And the Bible says that we're built to let our spirit lead. Our spirit is how we connect with God. That when you know God, your spirit is what's made new. Does God heal bodies? Certainly. Does God heal emotions? And, and when you've been hurt emotionally? Certainly. But the Bible says when we hit the doors of heaven, it's good, it, the real me is not this flesh. The Bible actually tells us that it's, every, it's part of every one of us. Again, whether you believe in Jesus, or you believe all this stuff is just crazy nonsense. There's a part of you, the part of us that's trying to get back to God. That's the spirit part of you. Trying to get back to the one that created us. Look what Matthew chapter 4, Matthew says it this way. And Jesus is talking, he says, No, the scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but what? They live by the words of, of the one who created them, God. That our spirit connected to his spirit it likens it to the bread of, of life and word. Us eating, consuming that is what brings us life. 
And see, most people's life are ruled by the flesh or the soul and their emotions. Now, if you're honest, it's very self-destructive. Because if you live your life trying to make your flesh feel good, it destroys you emotionally and really separates you from God spiritually. If you spend all your, whatever you're doing to try to soothe your emotions, it's going to destroy your flesh. It happens in alcohol, it happens in drugs, it happens... I know, I know people who, they, they kept going from relationship to relationship, not for the physical part, but because it made them feel good emotionally. And it was just destroying them physically and destroying their relationships of physical with anybody. You see, freedom is found by us dealing with our yesterdays. You can't have freedom if you're hauling around with the luggage of yesterday. And it may be yesterday or it may be 20 years ago. I know a lot of Christians who are saved and going to heaven and their quality of life on this earth, the things that God's blessed them, trying to bless them, is completely pushed aside because they're dragging the past with them. And their yesterdays are di dictating their future and dictating your tomorrow. And this probably rings a bell on some of you. It ring because you're thinking about the problem you got to deal with tomorrow, and you haven't even gotten to tomorrow yet. You're thinking about the issue that's probably waiting on you right outside those doors. And that problem, that issue, is already dictating your whole Sunday afternoon. See, freedom is found when we deal with our yesterdays. And God gives us a lot of ways to do that. But I want to give you a couple areas. Here's how, God, here's how I think we keep ourselves away from our creative purpose, away from dealing with our yesterdays. The first one is this. It's, the Bible's very clear. It's sin. And we've all got to deal with it. The Bible says, I'm, I'm a sinner that was saved by grace. So I'm no longer a sinner, but we still what? Oh, come on, don't get holy on me. We still what? Yeah, we still mess up. Again, anybody perfect? No. I was telling some people this morning, you're a great, holy, righteous pastor. Hit My feet hit the floor this morning, and my first thought was, I can't wait to take a nap this afternoon. <laughs> it wasn't about God. It wasn't about his goodness to me. It wasn't about the honor of standing before you and teaching this morning. It wasn't the, the honor of being on this team to be a part of the kingdom of God. My feet hit the floor, and the last thing in my mind was, God. It was, I can't wait to take a nap. Now, is there anything wrong with a nap? No. But there is a wrong, something wrong with anything that puts itself in front of God. So even that simple thing, see, that keeps us going in a circle. I'm going to ask you this morning, stop going in circles. Some of you have been dealing with the same thing over and over and over. In the Old Testament, the Bible talks when the, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they came into the desert, the re, they didn't just walk in a straight line for 40 years. If they could have gone from point A to point B, they could have got there very quickly, where they, the promised land was. But if you look at the maps, the Bible says that God took them around the mountain. And I think it went something like this. They went around the mountain. They got back around and God says, y'all got it yet? No? Okay, go around the mountain again. And we do the same thing on a daily, weekly, 
maybe a monthly basis. We stay on this merry-go-round going in circles. We stay discouraged. I think I got it licked. I think I got it licked. I think I'm doing good. I think I'm doing good. No, I'm not doing good. I'm right back in the same hole. Okay, I think I'm doing good. I think I'm doing good. And it doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you're not dealing with your past. Pride keeps us from asking for help. Now, let me ask this, and I'm going to ask everybody to participate. Honestly, this is for my own research. How many of you had had this thought? No matter what your sin, the thing you know you're not supposed to be doing is, how many of you had a thought, I don't think God really knows? Or, does God really see this sin? I'm the only one? Really? I've caught myself going, okay, well, it can't be that, but I don't think God sees this. He's worried about the murderers, and he's worried about the terrorists that are blowing up thousands of people. He's worried about the drug dealers. He's worried about all this stuff. He's not worried about what I said to my wife last night or my attitude. Or You see, some of us go in circles because we think God doesn't see. We've all got issues, and even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, says this in Romans 7. He said, so I find this thing at work in me. I'm trying to do good, but every time I do good, there's evil right here beside me, trying to push me in another direction. He says, for in my inner being, I really do love God. I don't question anybody in the room whether they really love God, if you've got a sin issue going on. It's just, how do you deal with the sin issue? Look at the next verse. Oh, what a miserable person. This is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Then he gives us the answer. Thank God. The answer is, say this with me. The answer is Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus. He's given us the answer. We know the answer. So why don't we move forward? Let me give you the second thing. The second thing, I think it's open wounds. What do you mean by open wounds, Clint? I mean this. A lot of us have been hurt. You've been hurt emotionally. You've been maybe hurt physically. You've been hurt in relationships. You've been done wrong. You've been cheated on. And we, li- we live our lives with open wounds. And then wonder why we stay infected. Wonder why things don't go well. Well, here's the problem. Here's what needs to happen. You need to let God heal. The Bible says that God can heal you. That open wound keeps us on that merry-go-round, going around in circles. And it allows the devil, really, I believe, to put a wedge in your life. It's always amazed me of, of the mass of, uh, and I couldn't tell you what it is, but, you, but the massive size of some of these trains, if you ever go out west and where it's flat and they have these trains, and they're a train as far as you can see. And who knows how much it weighs. But they'll take these trains and they'll park them and they'll take one little wedge on either end, one little metal wedge, and slide it in. And it's going to keep that train right there. It won't roll. See, that's what the devil does to us. That train's still on the track. You're still on the track. You're still going to heaven. But he slides this wedge in to keep you from moving forward, to keep you going in circles on this merry-go-round. It causes us to, if the devil, I believe this theologically. I'm not going to get into the once saved, always saved. But I believe this. Once you're saved, once you have received Jesus, 
it's really, 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 really hard to be unsaved. That the Bible tells us that the devil can't unsave you, but the devil can keep you from living in freedom. He can keep you worried about the past. He can keep you afraid of tomorrow because you're still carrying your past. He can still keep you from finding a good relationship and a solid relationship or that marriage that you've been praying for and you wonder why you can't get there. It's because you're dragging something from your past. And he keeps this, he keeps this wedged in there. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. This is out of the message paraphrase version. It says, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. In other words, we all get angry. But it's when the anger, the, uh, another version says, don't let the sun go down on it. But when you use your anger as fuel for revenge, and, and you don't, he says, don't stay angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Don't let the devil stick his, stick his foot in the door and keep you from shutting it. Or put a wedge in it and keep you from closing off that part of your life. And a lot of us do that, and it steals us. It steals from us. Some of you have been praying for relationships, praying for joy, praying for different things in your life. And God's trying to hand them to us, but we're not moving forward because we can't find freedom. And that's why it's one of our big four, know God. And the second thing we say is find freedom. The third area that keeps us from God's best, and I think we like to ignore or at least pretend it doesn't that it doesn't exist. And you need to understand this. Your real enemy is not, and I put it in quotes, that person. If we ask some of you, who is your enemy? You start naming people. Hopefully it's not the one sitting beside you. Hopefully it's not the one you're married to. I know it feels that way sometimes, but they're not your problem. They're not, the Bible says that's not who you fight against. Paul, again, who wrote most of the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, says we're not fighting against flesh and blood and enemies on, on the earth here. He goes on to say, but against evil rulers and authorities, all that to say this. There's another world that we can't see out there. And the devil, the Bible's very clear. The devil has lots of help. Again, hopefully you don't think it's the person sitting beside you. But the devil's got, the Bible says there's these spirits out there. There's power out there that says, we want to hold you back. We want to keep you away. But look how it goes on. This is Peter. He's... He's making a very clear point here. He says, you got to pay attention. Your great enemy, the devil, is walking around waiting on you to give him a shot to eat you alive. The third thing that keeps us away is that our real enemy. Your real enemy is not that person. What the devil wants for you is not to receive everything that God has for you, to keep you from God's best. See, the devil wants to keep you looking in the rearview mirror, which is not natural. I've been working. Mabel's sitting in here in the front row. Get ready, Mabel. Um, she hates it when I tell stories. She's, been, she's 13, and we have a side-by-side, -side, a mule, and so I've been teaching her to drive that. Well, it doesn't have a rearview mirror, but we've been working on backing up. And I'm forgetting that it's, when you've been driving and driving every vehicle that I can, I mean, I've driven lots of big stuff and lots of small stuff. I don't really think twice about, oh, I need to back up. I can back trailers up. I can, that's no big deal to me. But I'm trying to compute in my head how to instruct her when you go backwards, you know, which way to turn the wheel. 
And you see, she's trying to figure this out. But a lot of times for us, if, if we add the mirror into it, and I say, now look in the mirror and look backwards, it makes it even worse versus turning around. And some of you still do that. Nobody uses a rearview mirror. We turn around and we drive like this, drive backwards, right? And it just completely throws us off. God didn't intend us to live. How it would mess her up if I said, okay, now I want, you're only going to look in the rearview mirror. But daddy, I'm going forward. I know, but look in the rearview mirror. What's she going to do? Crash. She's going to end up in the pond and come back up and say, daddy, I, the, I did what you said. I was looking in the mirror and I drove it into the pond. Is that her fault? No, that's my fault. See, that's what the devil's trying to get us all to do, is drive just looking in the rearview mirror, looking at the past. Even for some of you, you feel like I've dealt with the past, but you keep peeking. Is that thing I dealt with in the past going to pop up again? Is it going to get me again? Is it going to take me down again? And the Bible says that we don't have to live that way. We, 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 we've even learned to fake it. The devil wants to keep us looking in the rearview mirror and faking this freedom, and the whole time we're peeking in the back. Another version of this is what I call the church mask. The church mask is on the way to church, you scream at your kid, you scream at your wife, your husband, you may be even probably reaching back and swatting at the kids, some of y'all with long arms, you know, or letting the kids have it, and then the door opens, and it's, praise Jesus, good to see you this morning. I love that outfit. Your hair looks so good. And 30 seconds ago, you were using language that would make a sailor blush. And see, we're faking it because we, we're driving just peeking in the rearview mirror. And that is not what God has for us. Romans 8 tells us this. There's no condemnation for those who do what? Who know God. And look at verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of this life-giving spirit has made you free from that thing that makes you keep peeking in the, in the rearview mirror. You see, this is us walking this promise out. Knowing God is about changing your allegiance. My allegiance goes from serving people in this world to God, I'm serving you, and I'm going to follow you. Finding freedom is about changing influences. Because the way you begin to heal from your past is put people in your life that can help influence you and keep you going toward God. Some of you have been around before, you've heard me say this. This is truth. I don't care if you like it, agree with it. I will stand by this. You show me your friends, show me your influences, and I will tell you where you'll be in the next 10 years. Teenagers, college, this is huge. You say, well, I plan on doing this and accomplishing this in my life, and I don't want to live that way. I want to serve God. I want... Show me your friends, and I'll show you where you'll be in 10 years. The current rates, I just heard this yesterday, the current rates for people right now from 17, I think it was 25 or 28, two out of every three will not be in the church in 10 years. Why? Because of what they influences them. The things that influence them. They don't have freedom. They're in bondage to the things around them. God's leading them away. That's why it's important for you to find freedom. And God's people are important. And here's why. Because relationships are crucial. You ask, how do I find freedom? You know God, you come to a service maybe, or maybe in your home, you receive Jesus and meet Jesus. And then we tell people, you need to get some people in your life that can bring, bring you 
influence and push you toward God and keep you going because relationships are crucial. That's why we tell people, get in a group, get in a group, and one more time, get in a group. It's not because we want to say, look how many groups we got. Look how many people are in each group. I tell some of our leaders as we've talked about the groups, I'm glad you're doing a Bible study. I'm glad you maybe do that Priscilla Schreier or you're studying somebody's Bible study. The thing that makes me happy and makes me feel like we're doing a good job is when I hear stories about somebody saying, I was struggling with this and I was talking to so-and-so in my group and they had been there and they helped me through it. That's finding freedom. That's a relationship that's crucial. You have to let people in. But here's what a lot of people don't realize. We put it all on God. God wants you to come to him. And the Bible is clear that you go to God for forgiveness. It's very clear. If you look, at, look to God and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me for my sins. The Bible says that he's good and faithful. Look at 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all that mess. Get all the stink off of us. But look what the Bible also says. That you go to God for healing. I think I didn't give you the point. It's on your notes. You go to God for healing. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. That the earnest prayer of a righteous person produces something in lives. You have other people in your lives. The Greek word, actually, and I know I don't get into a lot of Greek, but that word heal doesn't, doesn't mean just physically. It actually means that it brings you to a place to be free from errors. That you become error-free, default-free because of what Jesus has done in your life. There's two things. I want to give you real quick. We're going to close with this. and Ushers, you guys can do your thing and band, you can come. Two things that you're going to, how you're going to walk this out. And I've actually already given to you. The first one is you invite people in. If you think you can handle this on your own, you've already been defeated. If you think I can do this, and I know especially as guys, as a, as a guy, I wanted to be in control. I remember when Melanie, we were in college and Melanie was sick and in her dorm and at that time the dorms were um, not co-ed. I couldn't even get in the dorm. And she was sick and I remember standing outside feeling just defeated because I couldn't do anything to get in there and help the girl who I was engaged to marry. And I, I wanted to fix this and I couldn't fix it. I had to get somebody else in the process, give the, stuff, the medicine to somebody else to take up there. A lot of us are that way. We, i got to do this myself. I can figure it out myself. No, you can't. You're just going to go around the mountain again. And for those of you who, don't, who say, well, I can't really share my story, I didn't give you the verse, but if you want to jot this down, Revelations 12, 11, it says that I've overcome by the word of my testimony. Even sharing your testimony with somebody else, the people you invite, let them help you. The second thing is you invite Jesus in. This is not salvation again. This is letting Jesus into all parts of your life. Anybody have the, the grandma that has, and maybe you are the grandma, if you've got plastic on your furniture that nobody sits on, we don't go in there. You can't sit on that. 
Or all everything that you don't want people to see is stuffed in your closet? Don't go in there. Can't see that. Inviting Jesus in is not getting saved again. Inviting Jesus in saying, here, God, here's all my stuff. And you know what his response is going to be? Yeah, I, I knew it was there anyway. It's not like you're hiding it from me. Invite people in. Invite Jesus in. The Bible actually tells us in Psalms, examine my heart, my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and I've always depended on your faithfulness. God's love for you is not going to change when you invite him in and he sees all the junk you stuffed in your closet. God's love for you is not going to change when you confess to him, God, I've been doing this and this and this and this. His answer is going to be, I know. I still forgive you. Because ultimately what we're after, ultimately what as, as a pastor I, I hope to see is this. Changed hearts. Not just changed behaviors. Because if, if we're honest, some of us just want God to change our situation. God fix everything around me, but don't mess with me. Finding freedom is ultimately understanding that God can change your heart. That we want more than anything for God to mess with everything else, but leave me alone. And this is where we're going to leave today. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes real quick. For those who say, well, Clint, I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. I've never made him. Maybe you have. You've been in church and you walked away. Then I would say to you this morning, the Bible says it very clearly. That if you confess it with your mouth, you believe it in your heart, that he is who he says he is. Jesus did what he said he would do. And you confess your sins. You simply say that, God, I messed up. I'll probably mess up again. But God, help me. I'm sorry. The Bible says that salvation is yours. Now, for the rest of us, the things you've been fighting, wanting to be free of, wanting to let go of, you know you need to. You know it needs to stop, and it needs to probably stop right now. Here's my prayer for you. So for everybody in the room, heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to do this. I don't want anybody looking around, but I want, I want us to take a little step, one step anyway. If you would just say, Clint, don't have to say what it is. I'm not going to say anything out loud, but say, there's something that a part of me, a piece of my heart, small piece, a big piece. I need God to change this part of my heart. If that's you this morning, will you just wave at me? There's a bunch of hands going on. Anybody else? Say, God, there's no one. I need to change this. And here's my prayer for you. I'm going to pray this over all of us, and then, then we're going to sing one more time. We're going to, we're going to sing this verse. We're going to sing that song we sang a minute ago, I Speak Jesus. Because the Bible says when you speak that name, there comes freedom. So for all those of you who raised your hand, God, I, I, I know you see the hands. God, the way you change heart is by just letting your Holy Spirit have his way. God, for all those hands that were raised, including mine, Father, have your way. God, don't just change my behaviors, change my heart. Don't just change the situation, change me. For all those hands that were raised and even those that weren't this morning, God, that you change our lives forever. And God, I thank you now that lives are changed because we not only call on the name of Jesus, 
that we begin to speak the name of Jesus. We thank you, God. You're in the middle.